Well, good morning. It's already an awesome morning, isn't it? I mean, that was awesome. That was awesome to see a whole family baptized like that. Great worship this morning. Thanks for being here. We're in the middle of a series called What Jesus Meant, and we're talking about misunderstandings. You never have a misunderstanding with someone, am I right? Now, they happen all the time. This morning, uh, during the, uh, the run-through with the production team, uh, somebody said to Kyle, who led worship in a pinch today, because uh, Dakota was sick, uh, said, I'm old enough to be your father, which is true, because you're old. <laughs> and, uh, and someone else said, did you say you're old enough to be his mother? And you did say father, not mother. Yeah. It happens all the time. Or you call to your kids, they're upstairs or somewhere, and say, I need you to take a bath. And then they say, did you see you saw a red giraffe? I'm like, no, what are you talking about? Or the worst kind of misunderstanding is when you actually get the words right, but you get the meaning all wrong. That never happens in a marriage, right? That never happens. What I meant to say, or let me rephrase that, dear. Uh, the best line I've ever heard, you need to write this down. My man, Ryan, gave this to me years ago. The best marriage advice I can give you is he sat his wife, Kathy, down. He said, listen, if I ever say anything that could be taken more than one way in multiple ways, I always mean the way that is least offensive. <laughs> you need to write that down and say that. That is classic. That's beautiful, man. We're going to clear up some misunderstandings. Last week, we cleared up some misunderstandings about what it means to follow Jesus. When he said, come follow me, and exactly what they meant. Now we have a picture and a target of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you missed last week, you need to get online and you need to listen to that. So you know the target God is pointing you towards to become a fully devoted, fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to talk about what Jesus meant by church. What Jesus meant by church, because let's just be honest, that has been misconstrued and misrepresented and missed the mark in a lot of different ways. Over the centuries of Christianity, we have messed up what Jesus meant when he said church. And so today we're going to try to bring some clarity to that. Uh, I would say leaders in the church have pulled us away from what Jesus meant by church. I would say people in the pews or in the church themselves have tried to pull the, the church away from what Jesus meant by church, either intentionally or unintentionally, where it becomes more about a personal preference or, or personal desire than it is really the mission and the purpose of the church that Jesus Christ himself gave it. Let me just be really clear. None of us, not a person in this room, not a pastor, not an elder, not a deacon, not a member, uh, not a pope or a bishop, nobody gets the right to redefine what the church is. Jesus Christ himself has the lone right to define what the church is to be about. In fact, he said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so let's just be clear, it's his church, and so how he defines church is really the way we ought to be thinking about and acting as a church. Would you agree with me on that? So let's, I, the best I know how, let's describe for, for each other today what Jesus said the church was all about. You guys up for that? I'm pumped for it. 
Uh, and I just want to tell you my personal journey before we jump into the text. You can turn to John chapter 1 if you want. We're going to kind of hopscotch through the book of John uh, today. Um, but I, got, uh, I grew up in lots of different churches. We moved a lot. I had a lot of different denominational backgrounds. A lot of churches this size were smaller. I was a part of growing up. When I was 17 years old, my mom took me to the youth pastor of a church we were attending, and he led me to faith in Jesus Christ. And so my, my affection for the local church really blossomed at that point and thought, man, this is, the, this is God's instrument for the world. And then I spent the next couple of years in the local church not growing at all and really becoming confused and frustrated in my personal walk. And then in college, I got connected with a couple of groups, the Navigators and Campus Crusade for Christ. They're not churches, they're parachurch organizations. But what I experienced in those five years, because it, it took me five years, uh, what I experienced in those five years is I became a part of a movement that I believe represented what the local church ought to be doing, that we saw this kind of thing happening. People's lives were given to Jesus Christ, and they began to grow in their walk with him, and they began to share all that they had with others. And they, and they turned around, and they started leading other people to faith in Christ. And there was a movement that happened literally before our eyes in the five years I was at school. Literally, guys that didn't know God or know anything about God, by the time I left school, they were leading other people to faith in Christ. And I said, that's what I want to be a part of. Well, two churches later, one that I, I served uh, as a layperson, a volunteer, and the other one I was on a staff person. Two churches later, I said, where is the movement that the church is supposed to be? Where is the life change that the church is supposed to be producing? Where is the celebratory clapping over lives that have been transformed by Jesus? Why isn't that happening? And I got a little disenfranchised with the local church. But I got connected with Crossroads Noonan. That is our sponsor church. That's our sending church. They're our mama. And we're the little baby. And they sent us out. But while I was there, I fell back in love with the local church because I saw a local church that was a movement that Jesus intended the church to be. Let me just explain it. I was the outreach pastor, and that would have been at the large church that I was a, a staff for. That would have been half of the baptisms we'd have seen in a year in a large church. And then uh, and during my internship with Crossroads Noonan, we went to a, what they called a body life service. It was a Sunday night service. And we saw 10 or 12 or 15 or 20 people baptized on one Sunday night. And their community groups were steer, standing up and cheering for them. And everybody's having a party. Sorry. I'm in the back of the room weeping. I said, I found it. I found the church and what the church is supposed to be again. Well, as, as God would have it, he has a sense of humor. We went on a staff meeting the next day, and 40 or 50 people on staff, and out of all those people, Pastor Ken Adams calls me out of the back row and says, hey, Rod, what did you think of the body life service last night? And in front of all my new peers, I wept. I could barely get it out. I said, I saw the movement that the church is supposed to be. That's the dream here. That's what we're after here. 
And so let me just show you that we're not trying to invent anything new. We're going to just do it the way Jesus did it. Does that sound like a good plan? We're going to just do it the way Jesus did. Check out what he said in John, actually John 14, not John 1 first. John 14, then we'll back up. He says this. He told his disciples, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Now think about this. Jesus had not gone to the cross. He had not suffered and bore our sin yet. He had not been uh, tortured and crucified. He had not been buried yet. And he had not rose from the dead, destroying death, conquering hell, overcoming every problem in our life. He hadn't done any of that yet. He was about to. So what he was referring to when he says that you're going to do the work that I've been doing, guess what he's referring to? The way he ministered to people as he walked this earth and the way he trained those disciples to do exactly what he had been doing when he said, anyone that believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. He's referring to the, the ministry that he did for three years on this earth before he went to the cross. And he says, if you believe in me, I'm calling you to do those works, and you to do those works, and you to do those works, and Rod, you to do those works, and you're going to do it even greater than I am because I only had three years to do it, and I'm giving you an opportunity for a lifetime to do it. Wow. So when you think about coming up with a strategy to make a movement happen in Jefferson, Georgia, we don't have to reinvent anything. Isn't that good news? We just have to do it the way Jesus did it. So we're going to walk through the Gospel of John and look at how Jesus took somebody, because everyone he met was disconnected from God. They, they might have been religious, but they didn't have a relationship with God. And he took people that were far from God or people that were pursuing God, and he took those disconnected people and he turned them into disciples and fully committed followers of God. That's what happened in the movement Jesus created. So let's see how he did it. And when we look at these four principles, you got to understand these work anywhere. These work in Africa. These work in Jefferson, Georgia. These work in downtown Atlanta because they are principles from Jesus' strategy. And this is actually the strategy of Crossroads Church. And if you walked in today, you saw our new banners. And that's a visual representation of what we're going to talk about today. And it's going to be a constant reminder of how we see the movement happen right here. So let's take a look at how Jesus did it and how God wants to do it here. The first thing we can say as the strategy of Crossroads is we want to see people connect to Christ and his church. We want people that are disconnected to get connected to Christ and his church. Look what Jesus said in John 1.39. There's people following him around, and there's people kind of debating whether they're going to follow him around. And he says, come, and you will see. Come, and you will see. Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to come and check me out. I, if you're curious, if you're inquisitive, if you've got doubts, if you have questions, if you're unsure, it doesn't matter. I want you to come and just take a look and see if I am who I say I am and see if I'm not the Messiah that was to come. Why don't you come and just take a look at me and see if there's something different about me that fills a longing in you that is, that is so much more filling than anything else you've ever experienced. Don't you just come and check me out and see that I'm the one that God sent to not only save the world, but to rescue you individually from your sin. 
So Jesus, just think about the strategy of Jesus. Jesus was always inviting people, always inviting new people to come check him out. Is there any wonder why he did all these miracles and healings and took bread and made more bread and fish and made more fish? Because he wanted people to come and see what he was all about, that he really was the Savior of the world. That's what he said. So Jesus was always uh, reaching out to people and asking them, inviting them to place their faith in him. Guys, guess what? That's our work too, isn't it? That is exactly our work. If you believe in me, you will do the works that I've been doing. Since Jesus was reaching out, guess what our action is? It's simple. We need to reach out. We should be people that reach out. We should, we should do the same invitation that Jesus did. Hey, just, just come and see. Just come and see. Just come in an environment like this where people are worshiping God and the, and the lessons and the teaching of God is being shared and the people of God are loving on you. And, don't, and come and see if this place isn't a place where God resides. That's what we should be doing. And we gave you little invite cards. These are our little tools we use. We should be running out of these almost every week. We should have to replenish these on that counter every week because you should just hand these out like candy, baby, and invite. Man, you should come and see. Erica, you're already here, but I'm just going to use you anyway. You should come and see what God wants to do at Crossroads. Todd, pick that up, man. I like picking on Todd. I picked on him last week. He's a good sport. He's a good sport. (laughs) I'll find someone else next time. It should motivate us to serve at the, at the bow shoot coming up in just a few weeks. It should motivate us to serve at the egg drop and sign up for those things. When we are a people that reach out, we do it individually by inviting people. We do it as a church by hosting events and doing other things. We should be looking for people to cross our path. That that person in line next to you didn't get there by accident. And the person that lives next to you in your neighborhood didn't get there by accident. And the person you work with isn't there by accident. And the student you sit next to in homeroom isn't there by accident. That God has put them there for one purpose. And that is for you to do what? Reach out. Thank you, Todd. Reach out. We should reach out. I just wrote this down. We should view every person we meet as an opportunity to reach out in the name of Jesus. We should view every guest as someone we welcome into a family here. We should view every person in our sphere of influence as a challenge to engage with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. That's how we reach out, guys. That's what Jesus did. He wasn't ashamed. He wasn't timid. He wasn't awkward. He wasn't corny. He was just real and authentic and loved people and said, man, I want you to experience what I know will bring life. So come find it in me. Guys, we have the same message. We have the same Savior. We have the same awesome God. We have the same things available to us that Jesus did. And he's challenging every single one of us to be people that would simply reach out. Can we just agree as a church that we're going to be a church that's going to reach out to other people? Come on, story is. Let's do it one more time. Are we going to agree as a church that we're going to be a people that reach out to new people? All right. Awesome. Awesome. Number two, not only did Jesus connect people to Christ in his church, he he, uh, helped people grow in community. He helped people grow in community. He wanted people to grow in their faith, not just begin this journey of faith, but to grow in that faith. And what he knew 
is that people grow when they have the right relationships. People grow when they have the right relationships. Isn't that true? When you get around a good crowd of people, you, uh, you experience good things in your life. When you get around the wrong crowd of people, what do you experience? The wrong things of life. So personal growth, spiritual growth, you surround yourself with the same people that want the same things as you do. Look what Jesus did. This is John, just a few verses after one that we read. It says, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Follow me. Now, before the invitation, it was just come and see. Just come check me out. Just see if you like what I'm doing. This is a much deeper commitment. He's taking it up a notch, and he's saying, now I'm asking for you to come join me in a relationship. I'm asking you to come with me. See, it's one thing to believe, but it's another thing to follow. That's part of why baptism is so important. It's a declaration. Not only do I believe, but I want to follow Jesus Christ with my life. And following takes more commitment than believing, does it not? It takes far more commitment. See, Jesus was about to travel. It doesn't, you don't understand it. I didn't read that part of the text. But they're in Judea, which is um, the southern part of Israel. And they were about to go to Galilee, which was the northern part of Israel. So it was going to be a several-day journey. And he's asking Philip, hey, you're going to have to leave whatever you're doing, cancel your plans, and I need you to come and follow me. And and Jesus would say, I'm glad that you're curious about me, Philip, but I want people that are more than curious. You start with curiosity, but I want people who want me. I want people who are willing to follow me. Let me just ask you, how bad do you want to follow them? I mean, is it an issue of conviction or is it an issue of convenience when we say we follow Jesus? Is it an issue of conviction or is it an issue of convenience? I mean, I get to work with them every week, but the people that make Sunday mornings happen in that back row or on the stage, they are committed I thought of Beth and I thought of Keith. They, you don't even see it, but they're here multiple times a week. They are committed to what we're doing. Kyle, who led worship this morning, he drives from Oconee County, him and his family. They come and they get here early and he leads. And then when Dakota's sick, he steps up and he sings. They are committed to following Christ. Can I tell you the biggest shock it has been to me as a pastor for 10 years? is the two extremes. The amazing commitment we see in some and the complete lack of commitment we see in others that say, I follow and I believe Jesus Christ. It's it's stark and it's pronounced. See, coming, you know, I'm just talking about coming to church. Coming to church and and saying, come and see and, and, uh, and just showing up on Sunday morning is really not the destination. That's really the launching pad. That's the beginning point of more things God has got for you. And when you get past the come and see phase and you get to the come and follow phase, God has so much more in store for us when we do. See, if you're just beginning to follow, if you've not really made a commitment to follow him, if it's really an issue of convenience when when it comes to Jesus Christ, you have just, just begun to see the difference that Christ can make in your life and through your life. So can we all agree on something? We all need 
a relationship network. We all need to be connected with other people that love Jesus and want to follow Jesus and that we want to be a church that that's just not what we do, that we want a whole lot more people experiencing what it means to the, 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 the dust that Jesus is kicking up on the trail. They're getting it on them because they're following Jesus too. Don't we want to be that church? Man, we've got 12 small groups at this church right now, but it's not enough because there's a whole lot of more people that need to experience the awesome power of being around other believers. And so we've got to make space and room for new groups and new people so that they can grow in community too. I have totally left my notes, by the way. <laughs> i got to figure out where I'm at. So if we can settle that and we begin to ask people to come with us to small group, if we can start inviting them to lunch, inviting them into our homes, and inviting them into our lives, and inviting them into the group dynamic, we will experience what the, the next step, the next action step that we have. And that's simply this, that we would be people that learn how to help people plug in, plug in to the local church. Plug into relationships that matter and plug into a body of believers. When they're weak, the people around them are strong. And when they need help, there's people there for them. And we help people plug in and feel welcomed and belonging among us. Now, the extra benefit of being in that kind of group and in being in that kind of environment is spiritual growth happens. Listen to what Jesus said. When we get around other believers and we're plugged in with other believers, listen to what can happen. It says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed, this is John 8 now, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So in a small group environment, we grow spiritually, but the goal is not simply to know the commands of Jesus. The goal is to obey the teachings of Jesus, to obey them. And the word there that is key is the word abide. If you abide in my word, if you abide in my teaching, it means to remain or stay connected to. And the best example of this is John chapter 15, where Jesus tells the story of, of, a, of a vine and a branch. And he says, I'm the vine, I'm the, I'm the nutrient source, and you are the branches. And, and eight times in nine verses, he says, if you stay abiding in me, if you stay connected to me, as long as your branch is, is connected to me, the vine, then you will grow and bear much fruit. You'll grow. You'll, you'll flourish. You'll thrive. If you stay connected to me in, your word, in my word. See, Jesus came to be so much more than our Savior. Jesus came so much more to be your Savior. He came to be your leader. He came to be the source of love and hope in your life. He came to be the love of your life. And he came to be your life. And that's what it means to be connected and abiding in Jesus Christ. When you wake up in the day and the best thing about waking up is Jesus is right there. And the last thing you think about is Jesus is with me. And if he takes me home tonight, I'm a happy man or I'm a happy woman because I know him. So in a small group, when we plug them into a small group, so what happens in a small group is so dynamic. And the, and the action step that we're trying to take is we're trying to help build up believers in Jesus Christ. We're trying to build them in their faith, build them in their obedience, build them in their, uh, in their works, build them in their attitudes. We want to build up people that will go beyond Jesus as Savior to Jesus as Lord. So there's a huge difference between learning truth and living truth, isn't there? 
And the Great Commission doesn't say, and, and go to all nations and teach them things. It says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And so our desire in a small group is to see each one of us learn to obey the teachings of Jesus. If that thing stings me, I may jump off the stage. <laughs> Did they go away? <laughs> Always something, right? So we want, you to get, we want to get people growing in community and be plugged in and be built up. Does that make sense? Third thing. Third thing Jesus did is he taught people how to share what they had been given with others. He taught them how to share what they'd been given with others. Now, some people are more generous than others. Let's just be honest. Some people love giving. Some people not so much. But I'll say this. Everyone I can find, I promise you, every one of us, we have one thing that we don't like to share. Am I right? Could be French fries. Could be your car. No one gets in my car but me. Every one of us have that little thing that you don't touch that. I tell you what it is at this Wemke house. It's butter crunch. Butter crunch. It is chocolate and toffee and magic. And I don't know how my sister-in-law makes this stuff. She won't tell us. <laughs> But every Christmas, she makes everybody butter crunch. And she used to give us the family bag of butter crunch, and that was a war. That wasn't pretty. So now we have to get individual bags with our names on them, and we put them in the freezer. And mine's gone in a month, Ryan. My wife lasts all year long. And she doesn't like to share her butter crunch because I ate mine, blah, blah, blah. And every once in a while, she catches me eating her buttercrunch in the fridge. I'm not very sneaky. But we are called to share what we've been given with others. All the learning, all the biblical teaching in the world will only get you so far. All the fellowship and all the relationships in church, all that will only get you so far. At some point, if we're going to be like Jesus, we've got to be, be people that learn how to share with others sacrificially, intentionally, uh, habitually, doing just that. Serving his church, just like Jesus said. Listen to what he says in John 13. So you can see the progression. John 1, it's come and see. Then later in John 1, it's come and follow. And, and then John 8, he's like, I want you to abide and follow my teachings. By John 13, he's saying, listen to this, guys. He had just washed their feet, the disciples' feet. And then he sits them down and he says, If then your Lord and teacher, I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus washed their feet. Anybody ever done that and done a foot washing and washed someone's feet before? These are the people who have been on a men's or women's retreat right there. <laughs> That's when that happens. <laughs> It is nasty. <laughs> I ain't going to lie. If you've done it, I've done it, and it's gross. It's gross. I know my feet are gross, and I know I just feel bad when somebody's touching my feet and like, I'm sorry. I don't even pay attention to them. I forget they're down there. They're ugly. They're bad. I would rather do a poopy diaper than wash people. Okay, I'm just getting it off the table. I feel better now. I would rather change your kid's poopy diaper than wash your feet, Okay. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm not doing it. 
But I'll tell you this. It was nastier in Jesus' day. It was even nastier in Jesus' day. They walked everywhere they went on dirty, dusty, rocky roads in sandals. And Jesus got down on his knees and he washed the disciples' feet because it wasn't beneath him to serve them. Were they worthy of, worthy of his service? No. Had they done anything to earn that? No. But Jesus set us an example as the one that didn't come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He says, I want you to do this because this is the best thing for you is you've got to learn how to serve each other. It sets you free when you do. And so Jesus said, I want you to come to me and I want you to serve. I want you to serve. Now, we use the phrase in church all the time, volunteer. We volunteer for things. And I'm going to be honest, I use that word uh, occasionally, but I don't like that word. Because it makes it sound like it's optional, like we've got a choice in this. I don't, let me just read this again to you. Jesus said, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Didn't he just say, doesn't that sound like an expectation of Jesus Christ? That we ought to be doing, we ought to be serving one another in the local church and in the community. We ought to be serving one another. See, I believe this with all my heart. God gives us the time we have on earth so that we can use that time to serve him for the glory of God. God gives us money and financial resources so that we can leverage as much as we can to bring his kingdom come and his will be done and his church to grow and his mission to thrive and people to find Christ. That's why he gives us the financial resources he gives us. He gives us the gifts and the talents that he gives us to use them for his glory. And when we get good at that, the action that he's calling us to is to give it away. To be a church and a people that learn to give it away. We give away everything we've got for the cause of Christ. We give everything we have. We'll get down on our knees and we'll get dirty and our hands dirty and in the stink and in the terribleness of washing feet because we believe it's worth it. It's the best thing for us. Listen to this verse in Matthew 10. Jesus said, whoever wants to find their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What's he talking about? He's talking about sharing. He's talking about serving. He's talking about giving away. And when it, we stop focusing on me and my needs and what I want and my preferences and my ideals, and I start thinking, well, what do you want and what do you need and how can I help you and how can I serve you and how I can better your life and how I can promote you and how can I bless you, then we find life. So here's what we want to do as a church. We want to move, we want to move everyone into a relationship with Jesus Christ, connect them to their church. We want to move everybody into a small group where they're thriving in their spiritual growth. And we want to move every single person we get a chance to, to move them into a meaningful ministry responsibility and a role that you are giving back and you're giving to the cause of Christ. We do a thing called place where you can take an online assessment and we can figure out your wiring and we can figure out a great place. But we've got a bunch of places we need people to serve and all you need is a pulse. Come on, everybody do it. Oh, I found one. Uh, I, I know how it is. If you're relatively new to Crossroads and we haven't asked you to serve, um, you walk in and the coffee's made and somebody greets you and somebody hands you a bulletin and the music happens and this happens and the lights happen and your kids get cared for. And it would be easy to say, 
they've got everything covered. Can I tell you, we just created a big problem with that because we're going to two services. April, whatever, the week after Easter, we're going to two services. And here's why it's a good thing for you and me. Because it gives every single one of us an opportunity to serve and to share and to give away at this church on a Sunday morning. So here's, a, here's really the big push today. I'm recruiting every single one of us. I don't care if you're a member or this is your first time here. You can serve at Crossroads Church. I don't care if you think you've got a lot of skills or very little skills. I don't care if your personality is big or if it's small or if you're shy or you're not. Here's what we need. We need every single person at Crossroads serving in a ministry on Sunday morning. If you serve on Wednesday night or you serve on a, in a Bible study, all that's good. But you've got to understand something. We've created a vacuum. We're creating an opportunity for more people to come and hear the message of Christ. But that means we need a lot more people serving. And I don't know if you noticed walking in, on the wall, walking in, the unfinished wall in the hallway. Did you see a bunch of cards out there? Anybody? Still with me? That represents every one of the ministry roles we need filled. There was a couple cards up there, wasn't there? But here's what's really awesome. You, we're going to do it in such a way that you can worship and you can serve on the same Sunday because we got two services. You can work in any one of those three areas and then you can still get your worship served. You can still get your worship on. All right? But it only works if every single one of us say, listen, I'll do my part once a month, twice a month, maybe every week. If you know you can come in here after you serve or before you serve, then we need everybody willing to pitch in and serve. So I'm going to just show you real quick. Um, we got three different colors. The yellow cards are the guest services card, ushers, greeters, parking, and hospitality. Those are the four jobs we need people to do. The blue cards are the, the uh, worship team. We need musicians. We need singers. We need soundboard, projection, and lighting. I'm doing this by memory. How am I, how am I doing? In the children's, we need people for children. Now, there is a more stringent process because we want to keep your kids safe. There's a background check. But we need people to sign up for children's. And here's the deal. We need people in nursery, pre-K, elementary, check-in, and security for the kids. We need all those things filled. And you need to do it too because it's the best thing for you. Because Jesus said you find your life when you give it away. At the end of this service, after the music and we say dismiss, our, our goal and our challenge is that you'll walk down this, this hallway and you'll go to the left wall and you'll find one of those. There's signs. It's pretty well labeled. And you find what you want to do. You pull that card off. Then there's going to be three other people with signs holding them up. And you go to the appropriate person and you fill out the little card, just a couple lines, and you turn in and say, sign me up. That's what we're going to do at the end of the service today. And I hope you'll be a part of it. Last thing, man, Jesus connected people to the Father. Jesus caused people to grow in a relationship. Jesus taught people how to share what they had with others. And then he multiplied disciples. He multiplied disciples. That's the challenge Jesus gave his own disciples. Look what he says. He says, uh, and this is John 20. This is way at the end of his ministry. This is actually after his resurrection. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am. I'm sending you. 
I, I came and you were with me and we were in relationship and I taught you things and you learned from me, but now it's your time. I'm going back to heaven. I'm going back to the Father. Now it's your time. It's your time to do the things that I was doing and go and take the good news to others. See, if, if the, the kingdom of God is a system of roads, we don't want to be a dead end or a cul-de-sac with the good news. We don't want the gospel to stop with us. What God's plan for each one of us is that we would be a superhighway where the good news would flow through our lives and it would touch so many more people because we didn't just take the good news and keep it to ourselves, but we purposely passed it on to others who will pass it on to others. And we live our life in such a way that the glory of God goes viral. It goes viral. It becomes a wildfire. That this community is weird and different and changed and awesome because things are different, families are different, communities are different, neighborhoods are different, the kids act different. All of things are different because it becomes crazy with the love of God. And you do that by investing, investing your life intentionally for the things of God. Now, it doesn't mean you necessarily leave your job. It doesn't mean you necessarily leave your home. It doesn't mean that God calls you to be a pastor or a church planter or a missionary. These are the things that happen in your home. You can make disciples in your home. You can make disciples at your school. You can make disciples in your neighborhood. You can make disciples at your workplace. You can make disciples in the ball fields. You can make disciples as you go through the life because life is your mission field. That's what it means to multiply disciples with your life, that you live your life for one thing, and that is for the mission and the glory of God. See, Jesus is still saying the same thing. He's saying, I'm sending you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Don't settle for just being a good church member. Don't settle for just going to a small group. Don't settle for just serving once in a while at church. I'm calling you to do something significant and powerful and meaningful and awesome that's going to freak you out someday. But I'm calling you to it. And the action there as a church is that we send out we got to be okay with sending people out. We're going to talk about this a lot next week, but we're going to send small groups out. Our small groups are going to be on mission this year. And we got to be good with that. That means we're going to start ministries that reach people uh, like Celebrate Recovery. We need to be sending people out to do that kind of work. We need to be sending out new churches from our church. We need to be planting churches through this church. We need to be sending missionaries out through this church. If we're going to fulfill the mission that God's given us, then we will be a church that sends people out. Let me say this a couple of ways, because God doesn't need an audience. He wants an army. He wants an army. And he wants you to be that warrior. He wants you to strap on the gun and go to battle. And he wants this church to be a training ground to train you how to do that. Because what's going to be important is not our seating capacity, it's going to be our sending capacity. All right? And when we measure the success, I, I looked every one of our elders and our staff in the eyes and said, if we're changing our direction here a little bit, then we will measure our success not by how many people come and sit on a Sunday morning, it's by how many people will be sent out and living the mission of Jesus out there. That will be our new definition of success. And they all said, let's do it. And that's what we're going to do. Now, I got a picture. You might think, man, is this, if we don't do this, I mean, can we just kind of rock along and life's okay? 
I want to show you this picture. It, it startled me. Josh sent it to me um, last night. If hopefully if it comes up, this is a. It, this is just a powerful reminder of how pressing and urgent this, this is that we make disciples, that we fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ, and that we actually do what Jesus said to do. And if it doesn't come up, let me just describe it to you. You read it. That's offensive, isn't it? That's offensive. But guess what? They need Jesus Christ. They need to know we love them. They need to know Jesus loves them. And whatever happened to them that got them to that place, they need a 180 to happen to them. And we're going to be a church that loves those people. And we're going to be a church that sends out disciples to try to reach every single person we can. Let's bow together. Father in heaven, I thank you. I thank you that you loved us so much. You sent your son Jesus Christ for us. And I thank you that you loved us so much. You didn't leave us here trying to guess and figure out what we were supposed to do. You want every single one of us to, to reach out, to plug in, to build up, to give away and to send out. That's the mission and the purpose of our life. That's the strategy of this church. And I pray all over this room that we'll take a step today. I pray you mobilize dozens and dozens of people to go grab a card and sign up to serve for the greatest cause that there ever is, and it's your cause. I pray for a heavy conviction today, God. That if we're not doing our part, that would change. God, if there's somebody here that feels alone and that they don't belong, I pray that they would find this church and the people in it to be their new family and their new home. God, I pray for the warriors that are sitting here that just need to be sent out to the battle. God, you'd send them out. And God, I pray for the person here today that would say, I don't have what you're talking about. And I can honestly say, I don't know if I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is in doubt in my mind, and I'm uncertain. And if that's you this morning, and you want to know for certain that you have the love and forgiveness of God, you can have it today by bowing your knee and your heart to Jesus and recognizing Him is the one who purchased forgiveness for you on a cross and who rose from the dead that you can have life and a life abundant. If that's the desire of your heart this morning, if that's what you want to ask God for today, if you'll simply slip your hand up, I want to pray with you. You say yes to Jesus and his forgiveness today. Praise God. I, keep, I see you. I see you. Praise God. I see you. Let's pray together and then say, God, I believe. I believe Jesus is enough and I'm asking Jesus to forgive me to come into my life to make me new and to lead me forever and I put my faith in Jesus as God in the flesh 
I believe he rose from the dead. And my faith is in him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.